Hey, good afternoon, you, and welcome to Monday's Richie Allen radio show, live from Salford. It is uh, the 17th of July, 2023. It's great to be with you. Really is. Thanks for finding me. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it is very, very good to be back with you. It really is. Lots to talk about. We'll get into that in a minute. I'm supposed to be interviewing a really interesting lady called Demi Pitchell of the Starfire Codes. We've agreed to do that. I'm not sure it'll happen today. It's just been a bit mad with the last week and everything and rearranging. But uh, Dini is due to be on the programme. If not, we'll, we'll do something else. Let me get rid of that. You know, the best laid plans. Man makes plans and God laughs and all of that. Listen, I'm not on Rumble. I don't like it. It adds nothing to the show. I deleted it and the stream yard. So I will not be streaming in Vision anymore. It's a waste of money. I think... Look, not an enormous amount of money, but radio shows like this, we're on a budget, you know. I think I was paying Rumble and StreamYard a combined £60, I think, which sounds like nothing, a pittance, but it adds nothing to the programme. So I'm off Rumble, and so say all of us, okay? Like it or not, but that's the way it is. Lots of ways to listen to the programme. You've got the app for the radio show, my own app, the Richie Allen Show app. You've got my website, you've got Fab Radio, you've got TuneIn. The programme is podcasted everywhere. We're good. No more rumble, that's the end of that. Two minutes past the hour. Incidentally, I do hope I'll be hearing a few minutes after... There you are. You're out of practice. <laughs> I do hope to be hearing from you this afternoon. Do leave a message via the app or via richieallen.co.uk. The beginning of a brand new week. Yes, I did come back yesterday with the Sunday programme. Bit knackered last week. It's been a heavy three months and uh, just hit the wall. That's all it is. But I'm here now and that's all that matters. I'd like to start talking about the climate, if you please. But because I've focused on it pretty heavily in recent weeks, I'll try to be fairly brief with it. But I can't ignore the fact that it is, well, it is dominating the media landscape at the moment. Apparently, it's roasting in the Mediterranean. It's absolutely sweltering in the Mediterranean. And in Southern Europe, they're saying, who'd have believed it? In mid-July, 44 degrees, 46 degrees even. How will they cope with this, you might ask? Fuck off. Yeah, because it's always warm in the summer. The same feckin' way they've always coped, they can turn on the air con. And as you know, I, at one time with my much better half, lived in the Costa del Sol, on the Costa del Sol, for nearly nine years. We travelled everywhere, particularly to Sevilla. Oh, Sevilla, 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 as the Sevilla faithful sing every Sunday when they play in, in La Liga. It swelters there. We'll talk more about that in a minute, about how the temperatures can peak and get very, very warm in southern Europe, Italy and Spain, and how this is nothing new. 
This is information you might arm yourself with. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Here's Politics Live. We'll hear from the politicians first on BBC Two this afternoon. The first voice you hear or will hear will be Joe Coburn, the intrepid presenter there. On Joe. What's happening? Well, let's start uh, with the heat wave and sweltering temperatures that have been gripping southern Europe and also parts of the United States and Canada. You can see here the heat spots right across uh, Europe, particularly in the south and going... Particularly in the south. Now, you'll probably know that they're using these maps that have been coloured in red. These maps that are coloured in dark, dark red to make it look like the countries are on fire to make it look like Italy and Spain and southern France and certain parts of Central Europe are in flames. Even though they're not, these maps that you are, to be fair to you, you are noticing these maps. They are hilarious, are they not? Look at it in Spain, 44 degrees. Let's hear more from Joe Coburn. Eastwards, 46 degrees there in southern Spain. That's today. Tomorrow, the temperatures are much the same. No, they're not. Tomorrow, they're forecast to be 41, 42. Bit of a difference. Over 40 degrees in most parts of southern Europe. So my opening question to the panel, starting with you, uh, Sir Robert, is the government moving fast enough on climate change? Is the government moving fast enough on climate change? They never are. This is Sir Robert Goodwill of the Tories. Well, I think, you know, the main thing is to understand that we do recognise that uh, climate change is an issue. There's still a few sort of conspiracy theorists are going around peddling that it's all a, a big conspiracy, but we do need to take action. And actually, if you look at what the UK <laughs> has done, we've reduced... What did he say there? That's kind of funny. What, what are the conspiracy theorists doing? Conspiracy, but we do need to... Hang on! What are the conspiracy theorists doing? There's still a few sort of conspiracy theorists are going around peddling that it's all a, a big conspiracy. But we... I love that. There's a few conspiracy theorists going around peddling that it's all a big conspiracy. Well, it is. Well, in fact, it isn't a big conspiracy. It's just normal weather trends and patterns. We do need to take action. And actually, if you look at what the UK has done, we've reduced our emissions by 40% since the base year of 1990. And we, you know, we're facing out uh, gasoline and... You know, if guys like Sir Robert Goodwill stopped talking bullshit, we'd reduce our emissions by a billion percent and we could all live happily ever after. Diesel cars, we're, we're moving to more renewable energy. But is it, so, fast, is it fast enough? I mean, you well, will know uh, Lord Debton, who has been the chairman of the Climate Change Committee, saying to the government... The government set this up, that the government's biggest failures was not putting net zero at the heart of the UK's planning system. Uh, the failure to act decisively in response to the energy crisis. Yes, taking into account some of the things that you've said, but that actually they have got to do far more now or miss their net zero targets. No, do far more now or miss your net zero targets. Sir Robert Goodwill. Sounds like um, a James Bond character, doesn't he? Sir Robert Goodwill. Well, we certainly need to do far more now. We need to make our buildings more sustainable. And that's not just new buildings with better insulation and more sustainable heating systems. It's what we do to the majority of buildings that people live in, old buildings that were built sometimes centuries ago. So, we, yes, we do need to do more. We need to make our uh, housing stock more sustainable. But Sustainable. I would stop him there. In an ideal world where you could get away with anything you wanted to get away with, I would say, Sir Robert, if you say sustainable again, I'm going to pull out your nasal hairs with the tweezers. If you say sustainable one more time, 
sustainable. But, you know, the UK is actually in the vanguard of, of countries making steps in this direction. It's up some until of the other now, countries. up until now, I mean, Keir Starmer's rode back on rather a, a lot of the commitments that he made in terms of the £28 billion pounds investment to tackle climate change. That's still going to happen, he says, if there's a Labour government, but not right at the very beginning. And the same on not turning down oil and gas uh, licences now. He'll keep those in place if they pass before a Labour government comes in. Yeah, and she put that point to Darren Jones of Labour. I don't think he's rode back on policies. I think on the 28 billion... He's watered them down. Well, no, I think on the 28 billion, what we've said is that it takes time to spend money effectively. Mm-hmm. And you can't spend 28 billion overnight in year one. But to answer your primary question, are we moving quickly enough? No, that's why it's one of the Labour Party's top missions to decarbonise the power sector by 2030. And the world is... To decarbonise the power sector by 2030. ...isn't moving too quickly either. It's not just a UK problem, it's a global problem. And the Mm. tragedy is that we knew that extreme weather would be a problem. And the tragedy is upon another tragedy in that we knew about all of this from the 1970s and people haven't moved quickly enough since then. What would you like to see done now? There's a whole host of things that needs to be done. We've got COP28, the international... Yeah, yeah, press him. Joe Corburn is useless. Press him. What would you like to see done right now? Summit coming up at the end of the year where the world... COP28 or COP29 is coming up. The world needs to move much more quickly together. Got to do much more quickly, much more quickly. But as of yet, the presenters are not asking these goons. What exactly do you mean? Put some meat on the bones of that statement. What exactly? Give me an example of something we should be doing. This is what we're really interested in. I wonder how soon will it be before they start putting questions like that. Not putting questions like that because she asked him, he's refusing to answer. But holding him to it, holding his feet to the fire, what do you mean? Before they start saying, well, Labour proposes that everybody will be given a flight allowance every year. That sort of thing, dear listener. But the UK needs to remain being a leader in this space. We need to stop arguing about onshore wind turbines. We need to decarbonise our housing. We need to get off of gas. We know what we've got to do. The government just needs to move more quickly. We know what we've got to do, but they're not saying what it is we've got to do. We know, you and I know, we're not stupid. We know the measures they will propose pretty soon, within the next probably 6 to 12 months. But at the moment, they are pretty reticent to get into any specific detail. So hot weather in Europe is being used to pressure politicians to do more in the UK, where the weather right now is typical of a British summer. It is absolutely wretched like it always is. British summers, Irish summers, they're one and the same. Pretty overcast, pretty dull, humid from time to time, a little bit sweaty from time to time, but generally fucking awful. Right? That's our summer. Year in, year out. Average temperatures are the same now as they were 40 years ago. It'll get a bit warmer in August and then it's over and we'll all be whinging about the fact that we didn't have much of a summer, right? And what is being experienced in Italy is normal too and in Spain. Now they will argue that it happens a little bit more frequently now than it did 40, 50 years ago. And in that, they are correct But that is because we are naturally warming as we are an interglaciation period or we are in the midst of an interglaciation period which can last forever in a day, can last for thousands of years. Interglaciation, look it up. I know you're repeating something you said uh, the week before last. Yes, I am, but it's very important it bears repeating. Okay, because they bank on people not looking into this for themselves. Like in Italy, in Apulia, back on the 25th of June, 2007, 2007, 47 degrees there. Sardinia, the 5th of August, 1965, 
48 degrees there. Let's look at Spain. Barajos, June 27th, 1864, 47 degrees. Chayenne, 1939, July the 8th, as Hitler was um, marching through Europe. Uh, Chayenne, 46 degrees. And in Seville... You know they're falsifying the data at the moment. If you go on the internet and try to find out what Sevilla, what its highest recorded temperature was, they'll tell you something like 44 degrees. They are lying through their arseholes. I know this to be true. I went to see Bruce Springsteen in Seville on July the 29th, 2012. Look it up. He was in the Estadio... What's it called again? How do you pronounce the bloody thing? They built an Olympic stadium in Seville even though Seville was never awarded the Summer Olympics. Somebody was stupid enough to book Bruce Springsteen in Seville on the 29th of July in 2009. 2009. Let me get it right. I went up. We drove up with the Smiths. Vic and Lynn, we all got into their car, their Toyota RAV4. And up we went to Seville with the aircon on, full blast in the car, July 29th, 2009. Got out of the car, nearly had a fucking heart attack. It was 46 degrees, it peaked at 47. This is in 2009. It was so warm, Bruce Springsteen didn't take to the stage until just before 11pm. Given special dispensation by the local authority, the Ayuntamiento, they said, Bruce, it's absolutely fucking scorching. And you're an old man, and Clarence Clements, God love him, he's about to fucking keel over. So we recommend you don't go on till late, and we will stop. We will waive the curfew, Bruce. You're the boss, you go on. Bruce went on for three and a half hours. He was still playing at two o'clock in the morning. Did you get my point? 46 degrees. A year earlier, I had driven my purple Ford Fiesta automatic me up to Seville to Ikea round about the second week in August. Got out of the car, nearly dropped dead the same again. I was in Munich in 2001 to see a friend and to see you too. Right, playing the Olympia Halle in Munich, built for the 1974 Olympics. An amazing venue. 41 degrees, it had been 43 the week before. I arrived, nobody batted an eyelid. Nobody batted an eyelid. These temperatures are pretty common if you look back through the decades, but they depend on you and me not looking this stif- stuff even up for ourselves. They depend on us not looking it up for ourselves. Right? And I'm not going to do what I did over a week ago, two weeks ago, which is go into the Paleocene, Eocene, the thermal maximum, the PETM as it's known, 55, 56 million years ago. There were no Arctic, there was no Antarctic, they had tropical weather. Because the sun, dear listener, and nothing but the sun drives temperature on planet Earth. It is a fact. The climate models are flawed, they are corrupt, they are filthy, because none of them mentions that huge big ball of fire in the sky, the sun, which sometimes is closer to Earth than it is on other occasions. Sometimes the Earth itself tilts on its axis, and that, depending on where it happens, makes the planet warmer or cooler, again depending on where and when it happens. It is the sun. And they are using this now, and we're going to come back to it, but not in any great detail, in a moment, to talk about how they are using this particular issue. And this will be the issue now, in my opinion. Okay, I'm not saying they won't use pandemics 
fake pandemics again in the future. They may do, they probably will, but it's all eggs in this climate basket now and this is where we're going in the next five to ten years. And it seems to me, and I'm not depressed at all, that nobody is stopping this. There is no pushback because the fake alternative media, GB News and Talk TV... They're not permitting any debate about this. They're not speaking to the 500 academics around the world, the 1,000 academics who say this is bollocks. No, they are hiding it. They are gatekeepers, not the independent media. You're listening to the independent media. My name is Richie Allen. Welcome to the fucking programme. Get back by the Beatles on the Richie Allen Show, Monday's edition, the 17th of July, 2023. Uh, the time is 19 minutes past the hour right now. Thanks for finding me. Thanks for being with me. The programme is archived on Podomatic.com. It airs on Fab Radio 2 in Manchester. My website, the app. Download the Richie Allen Show app via the App Store if you have an Apple phone, via Google Play if you have an Android. And please leave a review for the show. It helps with the visibility of the show. Hi to Alexandra in London. Good afternoon to you and thank you for your kind message to Cliff, to Lawrence. Thanks for all the NASA stuff. Listen, yes, you're absolutely right. In their own material, in their own archives, in their own documents, they admit, well, they don't admit it out, they don't admit it out loud. But in, and it isn't even hidden, in amongst all their data, the IPCC, over the last 25, 30 years, is the admission that this is a nonsense. It is a nonsense. But, but people believe it, don't they? They believe it and they believe it. And they really believe it. And younger people particularly believe it. And I want to talk about it now in a moment. Let's first of all, though, talk about artificial intelligence. I'm glad to say that Demi Pitchell will be on the programme. We have got all our ducks in a row. She'll be with me in around about 25 minutes time. That's going to be exciting. I think you like listening to horror. So let's talk momentarily about artificial intelligence. Did you see this last night? Did you read about it this morning in the press? Do you read the press? Does it depress you? I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll read from the Daily Mirror. God, when I used to identify as a socialist, I would have read the Daily Mirror until I learned to be a bit more discerning in terms of where I got my information. So a woman teaches parents how to use artificial intelligence tools such as ChatGPT to help with parenting. And this is Celia Quillane. Now Celia Quillane is a tech product marketer from Atlanta, Georgia. Has been telling anybody who listen that she helps parents use a chatbot called ChatGPT, which we've heard plenty about, to simplify parenting tasks. She teaches parents to use the software to write bedtime stories, stories which engage children and incorporate life lessons by including the children's names in the story and involve them in the creative process. This is amazing, right? So Celia sits down, gets on to chat GPT and tells the chatbot, the AI, would you please write the story for my children and include my children's names in the story to make it personal for them and give them some life lessons. This is mad shit, right? I mean, beyond belief, this is mad, right? So you will probably have heard that the UK government has appointed a SAR, a SAR, a T-S-A-R, or a said 
or a C-Z-A-R, depending on how you like to spell it. And they want the Tsar to scrutinise the speed at which AI is developing and also to explore regulation. Speaking about this on BBC News today was Dr Cecilia Rickapp from the University of London. What did she have to tell the BBC? What's going on? (laughs) You've got to pull the fader down, Baldy. Okay, shall I say again? Dr Cecilia Rickapp from the University of London talking about the priorities of the UK government AI Tsar, tsar, right? Today, the type of AI that is being produced and how it is used is already been decided. The question of what type of AI we want is already been uh, answered. And Right, so she says, it's no point having the UK government, Tsar, look into how we want AI to develop. It's already been decided by big tech. I'll shut up and get out of her way now. And the answers are given by a few US big tech companies. And these companies are even setting the narratives, the ways in which we think of AI. Think like if you ask anyone about AI, that person will say that it's a technology that replaces and even outpaces human intelligence. Instead of thinking of AI, for instance, alternatively as complementary, as a different way of solving problems, even if you want to call it intelligence, not that something that is replacing labor, but that can actually contribute to make labor better. Such as, for instance, one could have this uh, mindset of AI as similar to a construction crane. We cannot lift all the way that is lifted with construction cranes. We build bridges together with labor and the machines. Why not envisioning the same type of AI? And this will not happen unless the people and the governments at large and social movements work together to steer the development of the technology. And this is crucial. The priority should be steering the development of AI towards technologies that make people's lives, the workplace, a better place and not a threatening technology that risks not only the the job of the people that potentially can be replaced, but also the future of society in general. Because if you think of massive unemployment, the consequences will be less aggregate demand, less growth. I leave the discussion about whether growth and what type of growth is needed, because that opens another set of discussions. But let me say that even those that keep their jobs will see detrimental effects. Right. Okay. So it can be a complementary technology alongside it can help people do their jobs better says ultimately says the the Cecilia Rickapp professor at University of London but Holly Lynch is a Labour Party MP Holly Lynch I think Halifax I could be wrong she's Labour in any case she was on GB News today talking about AI and well she's nervous about terrorists getting access to it it isn't it's a real worry and as those threats continue so unfortunately the terrorist threat is not going away but we are seeing more and more threats here within the UK emanating from hostile states overseas. The resources that then come with that threat are really terrifying and actually the ability of both terrorist organisations and hostile states to use AI when you think about generating terrorist content for publication online, the ability to train AI chatbots to start to radicalise people online without the ability for another human being at the other end. Wow. This is um, Labour front bench, I think. Maybe not front bench. Holly Lynch, Ginger Kid, um, been in Parliament, I don't know, a couple of terms. We should be worried about AI because hostile states can use AI to write terrorist content that can radicalise people on the internet and make them into terrorists. 
of the screen the other end of that conversation. These are some of the areas where we are really concerned that legislation and the powers that our security services and counterterrorism policing have haven't evolved at pace to be able to respond to some of those types of emerging threats that we are seeing present a risk to us here in the UK. So, wow. so you're identifying the threat. What, what's the solution? I mean, I know that the, the boss of GCHQ's briefed the Cabinet on his concerns about the pace of legislation around AI. How do you propose to stop ISIS and Al-Qaeda and these increased threats that we're expecting to hear from the <laughs> Home Secretary today with these measures? How do you expect to stop ISIS and Al-Qaeda using chat GPT to put out radical information on the internet Holly. Holly. So we are expecting an update to contest, which is the counterterrorism strategy that has served as well as a country for the last 20 years. The government's going to do that tomorrow. More laws. We need more laws. What we think is missing. You need to give up more of your freedoms. Missing from that strategy is a state threat equivalent. At the moment, some of our legislation is targeted very much at terrorism. But where you've got groups like the threat emanating from Iran, the Revolutionary Guard. Iran? The Revolutionary Guard threatening the UK? Is she off for fucking cornflakes? And the presenter doesn't jump in. What? What? You're worried about the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, are you? Using chat GPT, you ginger muppet. Really? Are you? No. Isabel Webster, aiming home sidekick, just sits there nodding along. It's dreadful. Our security services saying they've had to intervene uh, on 15 separate occasions. Well, we better believe them. If the security services tell us that they've had to intervene on 15 separate occasions, we better believe them, because they must be telling the truth, right? To disrupt kidnap and assassination attempts here in the UK since January 2022. It's a wonderful thing, that. It must be wonderful to be in the intelligence agencies. To let somebody know, maybe somebody in the public eye, maybe a politician. Hey, listen, we just stopped a kidnapping plot against you. Did you? Oh, thanks. Thanks be to Jesus. I, I really appreciate that. Who was it? We can't tell you. Um, can you show me any evidence? No. Fuck off and be grateful that we stopped you being kidnapped, you ungrateful bastard. Oh, all right, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Isn't it? You can never be challenged. Uh, why, why can't you tell me? Well, because it would compromise an ongoing investigation. Right, just believe us when we say that we filed a plot. And because we filed a plot that we never have to prove, we actually filed, we've now got to take some more of your freedoms to help us file more such plots in the future. Yeah. These are some of the new ways that threats are presenting themselves here. That bitch, I'm sorry, call me a misogynist if you want, would claim to be a socialist. You know? In the UK. Alongside Fucker. that, you have got this use of technology. So whether it's coming from a terrorist organisation or a hostile state, we need new powers to make sure that if somebody is committing uh, these types of acts using chatbots, generating okay. terrorist content online using artificial intelligence, we are going to be looking at new offences to make sure those are captured by legislation. Wow, we are going to be looking at introducing new offences, says the little tyrant in the black coat and the lovely ginger hair, Holly Lynch. 29 minutes past the hour. I couldn't help but listen to that and think about, um, well, terrorists will use chat GPT, so be afraid, be afraid, be very afraid. And while this is going on, the papers this week again, bird flu will kill half the humans it infects if it infects humans. Be afraid, be afraid, be, be very afraid. The weather will kill you. I'm sure Donna, I'm sure Donna. Bad weather, Osquelga. 
The weather will kill you. Climate change, climate change. There are lots of things that will kill you unless you trust us to protect you. And do as we say. It reminded me of Adam Curtis's great film, The Power of Nightmares. This particular radio show has been on air now for nearly nine years. And I have used this clip probably 10 to 12 times in the nine-year period. Do you remember the opening lines of the three-part documentary screened by the BBC in 2004? Do you remember, never shown again, banned in the United States, Adam Curtis opening a very important trilogy, a documentary series called The Power of Nightmares? In the past, politicians promised to create a better world. They had different ways of achieving this, but their power and authority came from the optimistic visions they offered their people. Those dreams failed. And today, people have lost faith in ideologies. Increasingly, politicians are seen simply as managers of public life. But now, they have discovered a new role that restores their power and authority. Instead of delivering dreams, politicians now promise to protect us from nightmares. They say that they will rescue us from dreadful dangers that we cannot see and do not understand. Dreadful dangers you can't see and you cannot understand. And the greatest danger of all is international terrorism, a powerful and sinister network with sleeper cells in countries across the world. A threat that needs to be fought by a war on terror. But much of this threat is a fantasy which has been exaggerated and distorted by politicians. It's a dark illusion that has spread unquestioned through governments around the world, the security services and the international media. This is a series of films about how and why that fantasy was created and who it benefits. How and why and who it benefits. Of course he was wrong, Adam Cortes. He got it wrong and he got it right, didn't he? They didn't used to sell people dreams. You know, he, he imagines that these politicians and political parties were acting of their own volition, independent of supranational organisations, independent of think tanks and independent of big finance. He's wrong, but he's also right. So the dreams, everything is all about the Great Reset and it has been for decades. So the dreams they were selling were just as much a part of that agenda as the nightmares they promised to protect us from today, in my opinion. So he got it wrong and he got it right. The neocons led by Leo Strauss look him up and the radical Islamists led by Saeed Qutb in Egypt. These were not organic natural movements in my opinion. They were funded by the same hidden hand. As a reaction to the fact that they couldn't get people to acquiesce by selling them dreams and hopes and aspirations. And I don't think Adam Cortes could ever understand this was part of a master plan. These fantasies were not the delusions of maniacs like Leo Strauss and Bill Kristol and Paul Wolfowitz and Dick Cheney or even the radical Wahhabists. These fantasies were rolled out to populations to coerce them and to conjole them into giving up their freedoms in order to be protected. That's where we are today. Substitute terrorism 
with um, climate change and the need to be protected from that. Uh, viruses that we can't see and the need to be protected from them. And it's still terrorism today. We've got artificial intelligence now. You need to be protected from that getting into the hands of dirty terrorists like Al-Qaeda and like, it, like, like ISIS. Therefore, you need to keep giving freedoms over to us. And if you do, we will protect you. But all the while, in reality, you are building a prison around yourself, one from which you'll never be able to escape. That's my opinion. There's a lot in The Power of Nightmares, Adam Cortes, do uh, watch it. But in my opinion, he didn't really understand the depths of what was really going on. Speaking of nightmares, they'd like us to be protected from. K. Burley, Sky News is a nightmare, but they don't want to protect us from K. They want to protect us from the measles. There are warnings that London is at risk of a major measles outbreak with tens of thousands of cases. The tens of thousands of cases of measles in London. The UK Health Security Agency is warning that unless vaccine uptake improves, thousands could end up... In hospital, let's get more with Dr. Leonora Vale from the UK Health Security Agency. Hi, it's good to see you. Thanks for good joining morning. us. What's the, what's the worry? So essentially what we're seeing is that measles rates are increasing across the UK. Most of those cases are in London, and that's on the background of the lowest rates of MMR uptake that we've seen in over a decade. I'll stop you there, doctor. So you say that uh, cases of measles are on the increase around London and elsewhere and this is because of a low uptake of MMR and are we seeing this playing out on our hospital wards Leonora are children coming down with serious measles and ending up in hospital are they does the ginger ninja interject and say that of course not of course not so we know that measles is extremely serious no it's not infection it can lead to serious complications and even death and that's why we're urging people You've to... You've got a one in a million chance, I don't actually know the odds, but the odds are astronomical, of a child contracting measles and dying from it. The odds are absolutely astronomical, right? Go forth, get their vaccine if they've missed one or two doses. What? So why is it a problem now? What's happened? What's happened, says Kay? Instead of saying, right, so you've got all these cases in London. Anybody coming down with serious measles? Anybody dying? Anybody's arms falling off? No? So there's many reasons why it's an issue. We have been seeing since COVID rates of routine childhood vaccinations uh, decreasing across the whole world. And we also know in London that rates are generally particularly low and lower than the rest of the country. And again, there are many reasons for that, including the uh, uh, London being a mobile uh, area, people coming in and out, missing vaccinations. And we also know that there are pockets of communities with very low uptake. And all of that means that we've got Pe uh, people within the community that are vulnerable and at risk and that's why we need them to have the vaccine to protect them and to make sure that nobody is left behind. There's nobody vulnerable, there's nobody at risk. Um, um, I'd love to possess Kay Burley. I've said this too many times, I shouldn't repeat myself. I'd love to possess Burley just to say, right, all these cases that you've noticed in recent months because people are reluctant to take up the jab. Incidentally, they're probably reluctant to get the jab for their kids because even though the mass media is hiding this and covering it up, in communities and in cities, people know the COVID jabs are killing people. They know that the COVID jabs are killing people and harming people. And that is maybe one of the reasons why they are so reticent to bring forward the little kiddies to have the measles jab. But anyway, you're saying that measles cases have resulted from a reluctance to have the jab. Um, talk to us about numbers of kids getting ill then. 
Does Birdie say that? I remember the Wakefield cohorts and he didn't, he was... No, no, she starts talking about Andrew Wakefield, okay. Suggesting that there was a problem with the vaccine. So those babies back then are about 19 to 25 now and they're the ones that have not been vaccinated. Yeah, they also don't have autism. Uh, those babies whose mothers decided that Andrew Wakefield had a point and decided not to get the measles vaccine for the babies, those 19 to 25 year olds now don't have autism. I would bet my life on it. Yes, yeah, so we do know that that's 19 to 25 year old age group have got lower vaccine rates and that's due to those scare stories from the 2000s which had been seen to be completely unfounded. Completely unfounded? Really? I'll leave that one alone. Let's hear a bit more. There's many studies now that have disproven that link between autism and the MMR vaccine. We know that the vaccine is highly effective and safe. It saves many lives all the time. And most of all, it can protect from those serious complications of measles and the long-term complications. Let's talk about measles because, you know, when I was little, measles were... If one... Kate doesn't realise they've been talking about measles for the, for the last three minutes. You're talking about measles, though. If I, okay, come back to us. My sister or I had measles. The other one, put in bed with them. You catch measles, you have it for a fortnight or whatever, and then you're fine. But it can be deadly. No, hang on, hang on. Kate nearly did a great bit of journalism there. Hang on, that was great stuff. What happened to measles parties? Home complications. Let's talk about measles because you know when I was little, measles were if one if I, my sister or I had measles, the other one would be put in bed with them. You catch measles, you have it for a fortnight or whatever, and then you're fine. But it can be deadly. Oh Jesus! Oh Jesus! Statistics. How deadly? One in how many kids? Absolutely, it can be deadly. It's not a lovely disease. The long. It's not a lovely disease now. Long-term uh, effects of COVID can affect. For many, many years measles. after the initial infections of measles, yes. Oh, she said COVID there. Um, so many, many years later, but measles can cause uh, pneumonia, it can cause ear infections, it can cause diarrhea, but it can also cause encephalitis. That's inflammation of the brain, and it can. You know what else can cause encephalitis? You got it. Vaccines cause death. We know that twenty to forty percent of those infected will be hospitalised. So what a lie! What a disgusting lie! Twenty to forty percent will be hospitalised. Kids getting measles. That is a disgusting lie. And Burley does nothing. So it really is something that we need to protect against. And we have a vaccine. Let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. Thank you for your messages, by the way. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk. My app, the Richie Allen Show app, Fab Radio 2, tunein.com. And each episode of the programme, which is a live radio show, is subsequently uploaded to podomatic.com. It then goes to iTunes. It goes to Spotify and pretty much everywhere you will get a podcast. It's nice to be with you, to be with you nice. Coming up for 19 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, Demi Pitchell has said hello to me uh, via PM or via DM even on Twitter. So she's ready to go. We'll chat in a few minutes time. She's the lady behind the Starfire Codes, a brilliant podcast and blog. She's a filmmaker and she is very interested in many of the issues we discuss on this programme, you and me. So we're looking forward uh, to that. Let me just read a few of these. Hi to Fred. Thank you, Fred. Hi to Ian, who says you need vitamin A to protect against measles, but we won't hear about that. Dean Sawyer says, Richie, they're panicking because people are waking up to 
to the true dangers of all vaccines, which is good news. Uh, Peter Gregson says, I hope bird flu does become one uh, does become one. Oh, oh, sorry, he said, I hope bird flu does become I only like five people and two of them are my kids, he says. Ah, I see what you meant there. You've got to read the message back before you press send. Mel says, my husband's family are Romani heritage and none of them had their childhood jabs. My husband's cousin did catch measles, had a mild disability from it, says Mel. However, my children had MMR and my child has autistic autism, says Mel. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Mel. Hi to Bree who says Richie I watched an Irish made film over the weekend called Lola. It describes the power of technological media brilliantly. Give it a view says Bree. Thanks for the tip Bree. I certainly will check that out and if if at all possible we'll get the filmmakers on the programme. Hi to Graham who says you know you're getting old when you go to book a ticket online for a concert and you think what? No seating plan? I'm not standing up for two hours. I hear you. It's been a while since I stood at a gig myself. I'll give you that. Hi to Bob, who doesn't normally get to hear the programme live. Thank you, Bob. Good to hear you today. Good to be speaking with you today. It is 17 minutes to the top of the air. Time for a tune. When we come back, I should have a guest and we should have a conversation. A chat, if you will. We should have a bit of a chat. Monday's programme with the BBG. This is Steve Earle. Comedy Podcast Live, an evening of politically incorrect comedy and commentary. Do you remember 8 o'clock on a Thursday? Stand on your front door and clap at the sky. You guys getting bored with television yet? The plots are getting so ridiculous and the characters are getting so, like, out of there and none of it's believable. Like, I don't know if you watch the same show as me, it's called uh, The News. God for the BBC. We could not have had a pandemic without them. Tell you what I want to go with my tinfoil hat, one of those tinfoil moon buggies people think we rode around the moon on. If you need six boosters for any product in the world, that sh** don't work. Andrew Lawrence, Abby Roberts, Alistair Williams, Stanford, July 27th, Katie Hopkins, Newport, July 28th. You will laugh, you will feel better, and you will realise that you're not alone. So do grab your tickets, comedypodcast.live. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen, signing out. All the best. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. Where it is 13 minutes to the top of the hour. Welcome back. It's me, your BBG. Nice to be back with you uh, this Monday. If you're new to the programme, it is Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. That's the time. And there is another show on Sunday, but I won't get into that right now. We had a brief flirtation with Rumble with uh, streaming this on video, I didn't like it at all. It did nothing for me. It did nothing for the programme. So I've deleted it all. It's all gone. Never to be seen again. And we're back to radio. And it works and it works. Or, or it, you know, this works. And if you don't like it and you prefer to go and watch somebody on video, well, you go and do that. And sure, we won't fall out, will we? Shall we get um, our guest on the uh, on the line today? Do you know it, it's a wonderful thing. The one of the thing. I mean, I'm I, I've spent a lot of time over the years whinging about social media, the ills of it, the Trojan horse esque nature of it. 
You know, get everybody using it. Get them off their own websites. Get them off the old forums where they used to go. And then when they're all on Facebook, they're all on Instagram, TikTok, they're on Twitter. And the new Twitter, Threads, is it, by, by Mark Zuckerberg. Well, then you can easily control what they see, but more importantly, what it is they say. But every now and then, it's useful to me because I come across somebody who I think will be very interesting that you might be interested in hearing. And um, Demi uh, Pitchell is one such lady. Now, she was in the room a moment ago, and now she's just stepped out of the room. She's in Florida. We might have to hang on a sec, but I've got an absolute raft of uh, your messages to read out. So if we have to give her a couple of minutes to get her um, self-sorted, we, we will do that. In fact, we will. I'll read some of your messages. We'll give her a chance to get sorted. Uh, message me, reach out to me via the website, richieallen.co.uk. Use the app where if you download the app, you can send an instant message straight to the studio and it flashes up instantly on my screen. Regarding, regarding the Adam Curtis film, William says, they are not dream salesmen, they are future sellers. Arthur Clarke was one of those, says William. Pandora says, it's now posited that measles like chicken pox are are really just growth phases that some kids go through and express as those skin conditions. They both have a known protective effect towards cancer in later life. They were both utterly trivial by the time the jabs for them even came along. The jabs says Pandora, which didn't work. They pushed chicken pox into later life as a danger to pregnancies. They create shingles epidemics as a byproduct. Uh, now with its own pointless jab too. It is a con, says Pandora. We jabbed the whole population to protect one in millions of kids dying and the jabs do far more damage than the uh, so-called diseases themselves. It's a racket, says Pandora. Thank you for that. Jonathan says, shameful from the doctor on Sky News, no placebo testing for the vaccine for a disease that really is harmless. Thank you so much for all of these messages. Jenny says, how much temperature has risen? It depends when you start measuring it from. They are comparing current temperatures with a particularly cold period from the past. So, of course, it's going to show a substantial increase. If they went back further in time and measured temperature over a longer period, they would not find an increase, says Jenny. Very well said, says Jenny. This from Gillian. Gillian says, so we have railway station closures. There's an app to buy a ticket. No smartphone or you're too old. Tough. Tough shit, says Gillian. You're obviously not in the Great Reset plan. Doctors on strike. It's impossible to get a dentist. Airport staff about to strike. Climate change fear. Telling people to stay indoors. Bird flu, measles, terrorism threats, immigration issues, dodgy hotels. All of this, says Gillian. People losing their homes. Sorry, hotels are pre-booked by migrants. A job for everything is coming, says Gillian, including one to stop you from popping off from having the vaccine. I'm going for a lie down in a dark room. Headache? She says, no, can't afford electricity, perhaps. It's just me. Thank you, Gillian. Let's see, can we figure out what's um, keeping our guest, Demi Pitchell, from uh, from joining us. It's uh, eight minutes to the top of the air. Here's Billy Joel. Right, it's uh, six minutes to the top of the hour. Billy Joel and tell her about it. You're probably too young to remember that. 
from the album An Innocent Man in 1983. I'm an old man. I'm really excited about speaking with our guest today. We are live, of course. You can join in via the app, via the website. If you've got a comment to make, she'll be delighted to hear from you. She is an author, a blogger, a filmmaker. She is a mystic. She's got a brilliant website. Check it out, starfirecodes.com, where she explores... Well, it's our own journey digging down into understanding the universe around us, our place in it, where we came from, where we're going. And she's looking into all of this and exploring this in the context of geopolitical events, the madness of the last three years. I'm delighted to welcome to the programme and we're doing it the old fashioned way. We're doing it on the telephone. Let's say hi to Demi Pitchell. And Demi, if I've butchered your name, will you please correct me? It oh, is. no, you've said it perfectly. Thank you so much, Richie. It's, it's wonderful to be here. Thank oh, you. it's my pleasure. Thanks. You know what I did? Because I've been listening to interviews that you've done with people. I've watched your, your own podcast and I've been trying to get an aggregate of how your name is pronounced. A beautiful name. And I just didn't want to butcher it. Demi, it is. It's great to have you on. How oh, do you... Thank you so much. I've probably, I mean, I gave a little bit of a kind of an insight into what it is you do. Would you like to kind of give us your own, not resume, but what is it you've been doing? And like I said, particularly in the context of the last three years. Sure. Um, I, I focus on metaphysics, survival, the media and the truth. And I try to bring all of those together and kind of come to a nexus point of all of that so that, you know, we can see the different things that are happening um, in our environment we're able to um, think them through critically, respond to them in a responsible way, but without um, creating, you know, a, a fear-based paradigm around ourselves, without, um, without sort of feeling blackpilled about it, you know, um, coming to a place of, of hope and understanding and really, you know, keeping that kind of, um, that kind of a feel alive within us so that we can, you know, appropriately navigate that and just, you know, keep ourselves safe, but keep ourselves level and balanced and keep ourselves, you know, connected to, to source consciousness so that we're able to do that. And, and so that we, um, we remember that, that all of us are part of the all and, and that we have um, the ability to tap into that. That's been one of the things that it's been my mission to show people. I'm not, you know, as, as somebody who can tap into that and who gives readings and who channels, it's not something that only I can do. It's part of our human birthright. And that's what I like to explain to people. Um, we can all do that. You know, we've, we've just been, you know, um, told that we can't and, and we've been, you know, guided away from it so that we, you know, we won't think that we're able, but all of us are absolutely able to do that. I want to explore that with you this afternoon and um, this kind of concept of remember who you are or even try to begin to understand who we are or who we might be or where we might have come from. But you mentioned fear today, Demi. I've just finished a news roundup. You know, this afternoon in the United Kingdom, the news networks are telling people that artificial intelligence um, might get into the hands of terrorists and therefore we need to introduce new laws to manage what people can do with the technology. The climate change... I'm going to say fear-mongering because that's my own personal opinion, you might see it different, has been pushed really hard again today that governments need to much more quickly tackle climate change or the climate crisis. They're really pushing, you know, high temperatures in the south of Europe, high temperatures in America. All of this stuff, I believe, is creating a state of fear. 
is fear a big tool? I don't want to ask a stupid, dumb question, but how how powerful or how important for them with a capital T is this kind of level of fear pushing on people as a as a means to disrupting our understanding of who we are? How important is fear? Fear is their most important method of control. They lean on it the most. They create Hegelian dialectics around all of these things where they create the problem. They offer the solution as a response to the problem. So they they are creating a situation where they're getting you to feel fear so that when they present the solution, which is always taking some form of your rights away from you, that you will capitulate to that because you want to feel protected because you're scared of the thing that they presented you with, which wasn't a thing to begin with. Yeah. And chip away at um at your at your rights and, and your um your feel of um of having that kind of sovereignty because you're willing to give it up in order to feel safe, secure, comfortable, and not have anything um that's you know um capturing your imagination in that state of fear affect your way of life, whether that thing is proven or not. You know, all, all you're hearing is is on the news that that exists with no proof of the fact that that exists, even when people are presenting studies. And I, I had on on my podcast, which just launched recently on and you can get to that on the website, starfirecodes.com um, in episode 15, which hasn't dropped yet. We have a scientist that comes on and breaks down peer review and 90 percent of peer review is false. It's provably false. So they're not able to replicate any of those studies, and it's a massive problem. So any of the studies that they're um, that they're lording in front of people to make them capitulate to these um, these elements that are chipping away at your sovereignty are crafted in that way to make you feel fearful, so that you will uh, you'll agree to that. You'll agree to having your rights taken away little bit by little bit, like a slowly boiled frog. Really interesting, Demi, and. When these people end up on what we call here a legacy media network, so CNN or Fox or even uh, the BBC, they're not challenged to provide the proof to back up the statements they're making about COVID or about the climate. So, so, so the listener or the viewer doesn't understand that, in fact, you're absolutely right, the models collapse once you begin to unravel them or question them, even very gently question them as they unravel. I'll tell you something, Demi, you said the the podcast is new, the blog, but I'm really interested in it. And you've been talking about and writing about this phenomenon, which has left my head spinning. It's still spinning to this day. And that is when I think back to 2020, how people seem to go, going to swear now, kind of batshit crazy, right? People in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, like, we could see that there wasn't a deadly pandemic in play, right? There might be a, a virus, there might be a respiratory infection, COVID, but we could see that they weren't coming around with lorries or trucks or trailers to bring out your dead. Like, we could see this. And yet the people around us, many of them, maybe even most of them, were running around like absolute loons, loons, right? And you've been looking into to, to, to this in terms of why some of them buy it and collapse under it without any evidence. And others like you and me, we immediately look at it and go, well, this is nonsense, really. Do you want to try and, you know, we don't have four hours, obviously, but do you want to try and kind of delve into that? Why does one person go, oh, God, we're all going to die? And Demi Pitchell says, 
hang on a second, this is ridiculous. Well, a lot of it is pattern recognition skills and whether those were um, bolstered and fostered within you or not. And um, even in the education system, um, if you look at the IQ test, it's not really testing for intelligence per se. There are different types of intelligence. What it tests for, if you look at all the questions, is pattern recognition skills. So when you uh, when you score high on that, it's not something that you can't develop over time, which they say, you know, you're kind of locked into your IQ. I don't believe that that's true. I believe that you can be taught pattern recognition skills and that when um, when you test high for pattern recognition skills, they take those kids out of the general population with the rest of the kids and put them into their own courses. They they um, sequester them in their own classroom and they keep them from interacting with the other kids because they don't want those pattern recognition skills to catch on. And they also, because those kids have these um, this capacity for um, for having that, that type of pattern recognition in, inherent within them, or maybe they learned it from their families or, or from their environment, um, they're trying to corral that in a certain direction so that they'll start to think in a certain way. So the indoctrination becomes leveled up within that set of kids because they're being groomed to be the um, the next world leaders, right? And um, and the rest of the kids, they don't want them to learn those sort of pattern recognition skills. They want them to be good workers. They want them to accept authority. They want them to, you know, when the teacher says something at the front of the room to agree with it, to pair it back to the teacher, what the teacher wants to hear. They don't want them thinking, you know, in a certain direction. And that's because most of what they're being taught they're being taught to rote memorize. They're not being taught critical thinking. They're not being taught pattern recognition skills. And it's a mode of control. So that kind of indoctrination, you know, um, over time you, you get to adulthood and you're so used to being told what to think and parroting it back that you're already indoctrinated into that paradigm and, and you basically um, replace the teacher with the media. You replace, you know, um, your, your childhood uh, teachers with your professors in school and your bosses and it just you know it goes on from there and um and you're just parroting back whatever somebody tells you so you know when when you're told studies say xyz you're oh well the study said this so you know that must be true you know this is and, interesting this is interesting. Starfirecodes.com. You're listening to Demi Pitchell. She's live from Florida. It's wonderful to have her on the program. When we say they, because I've come to believe this is true. And I'm not particularly dogmatic. You know, when I speak to people about these things, I tend to try and say, in my opinion, you know, to, to, to try and give people an in. But I, I, I do agree with you and our listeners will know this. But when we say they, that education has been set up to create worker bees who nod and who do what they're told. Do we know where that goes back to? Like, oh, whose, yeah. whose agenda is this? Um, even even if you want to look back at um, at a very clear example of that, at the turn of the century, um, the uh, the medical education was being subverted away from holistic medicine into allopathy, and um, different medical schools were told that they would get funding if they adopted a new curriculum. They were given textbooks, they were given the curriculum that they were told to teach, and they were not allowed to have that funding unless they adopted the new curriculum, which was an indoctrination into allopathy away from holistic medicine. And um, the people who set that up, um, that was that was Rockefeller. 
So that was um, an entry point into um, the pharmaceutical industry to create um, pharmaceuticals out of petrochemicals, which they, you know, had a lot of waste from. That was their industry, and they wanted a way to um, to get rid of a lot of those chemicals and use them for something else. So they were crafting medicines that that they were going to be selling to the populace that were um, based on petroleum products, and they wanted an in to be able to do that. But also they were um, they were crafting a way to um, to make and keep people sick so that they could create an industry off of it. So that you know when when you go to them, it's not to get better; it's to stay within the confines of of remaining sick so that you become basically a medical annuity. You basically become a user, don't you? And they become mm-hmm. they become a, a a drug seller or or a pimp for for big pharma. Absolutely, Demi Pitchell is our guest. The thing that some people struggle to come to terms with is is if everything is is rushing headlong towards a technocratic society, which is a kind of like a prison planet. A lot of people struggle, Demi, to entertain the idea that families or or, or globalists, whatever we want to call them, that they would play such a long game. And, and maybe well, you have the answer sure. to this. Go ahead. We're already there. Um, the, the best way to keep control of people is to make them feel comfortable so that they won't revolt, right? If it gets bad enough, people act up. The last thing they want is civil unrest. So, you know, they keep people comfortable enough. They're, they're not going to step up to the plate and say anything. They're, they're going to just, you know, stay within their um, the confines of, of what they have and not want to lose it, you know? So, um, so they're not going to speak up. And most people, you know, it, it's built into us from, from way back, you know, any sort of ridicule or ostracism that, that comes into play would set you apart from the pack. It, it, would, it would make it um, untenable to survive. Yeah. You know, if you were passed out of, of your village and you had to fend for yourself, you know, how long would you have survived under those conditions? You can't. So it's built into our psyches and, and our makeup that, you know, that we want to um, keep with the status quo and we want to keep in good graces with the group because that's our means of survival. So they play upon it. It's part of our, our basic human psychology. And Amy, tell me this. What, 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 when was it for you? When did you begin to understand that the things you, um, that what you were, were seeing or what you believed to be real may in fact not be. Was it mom or dad? Was it a book you read? Was, was it something that happened to you? Oh, no, little by little over time. Um, I, I did, um, I feel like there, there are a lot of different entry points for people to kind of get here. Um, and, and I think that they saw it more easily if they had experienced or their families had experienced something similar in the past where they were relating it back to that. So let's say um, you had a problem with the, with the medical industry and you were sick and not getting help. So, um, so over time, you had to take it upon yourself to do your own research, to figure out what was wrong with you and make gains in that way. That's a lot of where the biohacker community comes from because they weren't making headway using um, general accepted medicine. So they started experimenting on themselves and making headway in that way by doing scientific experiments on themselves. Um, then you also have like, you know, people who... Um, who left one country to go to another because of the political climate in that country, their, their families had already experienced what it was like to be a refugee. So they see the writing on the wall when things start to decay, when things start to happen politically, they, they can associate it back to something that happened in, in the country where they come from and they see it faster. Or, um, or here, families that, um, 
that had a lot of um, military involvement. So like old military families where they've been deployed all over the place and they've, they've seen um, what's happened in those different places and, and lived it firsthand instead of hearing the, the stilted messaging on the news. They've seen what happened in front of them. So a lot of these people who have already had these experiences like this, there are forms of shamanic initiation, those types of experiences. They change the way that you interact with reality. They change your perception of reality. And then you, um, you interact with that differently, right? So, so somebody who's had those experiences is going to have a different take on what they're seeing than someone who's never had an experience like that, who you know probably is likely about to because they have not seen this happen before, but they're on the precipice of experiencing it right now. So they're still having this ramp up experience where, where they have not yet taken that in and, and had to, you know, hit bottom with that and decipher what's going on and kind of, you know, um, clamor their way back out of it. Whereas, you know, people who have already done that once or twice in other areas of life are, OK, I see this. I see what's going right. on. This is interesting because I was lucky, really. I'm a mainstream or I was a mainstream broadcaster, um, um, local and then national uh, radio. I broadcast on September the 11th. I broadcast on the day and in the subsequent days and weeks. And I just parroted the, you know, Associated Press line and Reuters that a madman in a cave in the Tora Bora Hills in Afghanistan pulled off this massive attack against the United States. And then I was lucky to read a book one one week, two or three years later. And I thought to myself, Demi, I cannot believe that I told my listeners that they found a pristine passport in the rubble in the streets of New York, which gave us uh, the identity of one of the attackers. I cannot believe that I told people this. This was one of my, this was my kind of wake up moment to things, you know, not being as they, as they seem. They're very good, I think, at doing paradoxes. This, this kills me. I'd, I'd love to get your take on this. We know at the moment, I think, by the way, you're listening to Demi Pitchell. She's very, very good. Go to starfirecodes.com, subscribe there, listen to the podcast, support good journalism, buy her a coffee. If you like what you see and what you hear and what you read, starfirecodes.com. Demi, we know that it's terrible to go into, we call them primary schools here, you'd call them, I suppose, grade schools, junior schools for very young children. It, it is a terrible thing to mess with the minds of children and to talk to them about their genders and their sexualities and all of that. It's not good. And we rail against that. We stand up against that and we talk about it. And our gay and lesbian friends stand up as well and they say, this is terrible, what's going on? But the paradox is, at the same time, we know that there is a puppet master or a puppet mistress pulling those strings that wants us to be at loggerheads with one another on these culture war issues so that they can go about their great reset. That's a paradox for me. That's like a finger trap. What do you do? Because the issue is serious, but it's also been created so that we, you know, we are distracted from the much bigger picture. Or am I talking nonsense? No, not at all. Actually, I would say that this great reset is not their first rodeo. Um, if you look back, there's a lot of researchers who are doing um, who are doing great work figuring out what had happened during the 1800s. Now you look at some of these buildings that were supposedly built during this time with with a chisel, a horse, and buggy. You know, Bartholomew climbed out of his cave and built this this building in in 10 years. I don't think so. With the populations that were small at that time, no, we're being we're being fed a bunch of lies. 
so, you know, you had all of these pictures of the World's Fairs with supposedly, um, you know, these, uh, these buildings that were built, quote unquote, temporarily, that were destroyed and dismantled after that. Well, you know, we're, we're not supposed to know that those buildings were our history. We're being separated from our roots. So getting back to the children, you know, uh, what better way to brainwash a community than to, you know, get at them when they're children, when they don't know their roots, they don't know their history and convince them of something else. Brilliant. Brilliant. Really good answer. And look, I've had a lot of comments, right? People are commenting through the app for the show. They're commenting through the website. Let's move it to look at the speed of this show flying by 14 minutes past the air. Uh, we've got Demi Pitchell on the line, starfirecodes.com. Demi, we've got another half an hour together. Is that OK with you? Absolutely. Are you good? Brilliant. Maybe even 40 minutes. Lena uh, has sent a message through and this is where I wanted to go. What if the secret hand guiding this agenda wasn't human and its concept of time is different to ours? We experience time in a linear way, but perhaps they don't. Now, Demi, you are wide open to every possibility as to what we're doing here, why we're here, what's really happening and what's in control. And you talk a lot about metaphysics. What about this concept that... the See, I'm an agnostic. I, I don't go to church, but I'm not a... I'm certainly not an atheist, I'm agnostic about where we, 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 we came from or where we're going even. But a lot of my listeners are Christians, some of them are Jews, some of them are Muslims, and they believe in a creator, a higher power. And because they do, they, they sometimes get reach out to me and they say, you know what, Richie, this is a good versus evil battle that has been waged through the ages. I don't dismiss anything. Um, it's a very big question. It sounds a bit silly to throw that at you and say, what do you think, uh, Demi? But um, what about that? That there's this kind of um, spiritual element to all of this, maybe a, a non-physical element to it. Yeah, I think that that would be about control and about, you know, who is in control and, and who um, who is approaching reality from a place of love and from a place of fear. And, you know, stepping outside of time, sure, you know, um, those beings would be hyperdimensional. They'd be classified as hyperdimensional. So are we. We're spirit inside of a meat suit, basically. So, you know, we would be a hyperdimensional as well. We just have a different experience of time because we are within our physical form. So we experience time linearly because of that, um, so, because our, our consciousness is sequestered within a, a point of view. So, you know, if, if our consciousness is outside of that point of view, we don't see time in the same way. So, yeah, all time would be happening simultaneously. And, and if you're looking at it that way, um, as each piece of us is a chunk of source consciousness, we are all part of the same source consciousness and we all interconnect back to a sort of Internet of spirit for, you know, uh, an analogy there. So we're all interconnected in that way and, and some aspects of this consciousness are playing out a fear-based paradigm where they want control and, and others are trying to raise the frequency of, of the entirety of, of source consciousness. And that's where that push and pull comes in. And, and you could see it as a battle between good and evil, but really it's, it's sort of a movement toward healing. You, you have to understand the darkness if you're going to pull someone out of the darkness and toward the light, right? You, you can't, you can't, lead someone out of something that you don't understand so you have to experience that in order to get to the next step where you're healing it within yourself to get to the next step where you're helping somebody else out of it 
so really the first thing that I would tell anybody that's going through this process of figuring that out would be to go inward to, you know, um, get to a place of stillness to meditate, um, you know, and, and that doesn't, you know, go against anyone's religion. That's, that's just going inward and listening to your own thoughts and separating out um, the thinker from the observer and, and understanding where the, the messages are coming in from source consciousness or, or the universe or God or whatever that is that you want to call that. Um, all of those points of view are valid. It's, it's just the consciousness that interconnects all of us and, and getting in touch with that and asking for, um, for guidance from that greater consciousness. Damien, it's... And, and so, sorry to interrupt you. It seems to me, looking back through history, I'm a history graduate, that some of the most powerful people, at least those who we perceived to be powerful, so mm-hmm. bankers, politicians, army generals and, and whatnot, they certainly had a kind of a predilection for satanic imagery. And there's been some brilliant documentaries done about the world's buildings and how occult imagery, how Satanism, you know, tends to show up all um, all through time. So it seems that, again, I don't want to use, you know, catch all terms like elites and globalists, but there certainly seems to be in some quarters an obsession with the satanic or the Luciferian. What, what, do, you, what mm-hmm. do you make of that? What, what does that mean to you? It's, it's a different analogy to apply to the same kind of dark versus light energies. Um, you know, if you go back far enough, we didn't have a concept of Satan. We, we had other concepts to talk about that and other imagery that was similar to what we're seeing now and, and eventually um, Judo, Judeo-Christian religions typified as satanic. But that didn't exist back then. It, you know, it was, it was called Baal or, or it was called um, Beelzebub you know, further back or, you know, like you had different names for this. You had different, um, different names for the bull shaped, you know, Moloch. You, you had different terms for that. And eventually, you know, as you see in all of, you know, polytheism being swallowed up by monotheism, the, the concepts that came before are morphed and changed into something that the populace had already accepted, but they were moving into a, a monotheistic paradigm and so they shifted the way that they um, typify and 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 give term to those concepts so that people would be familiar with the concepts already and would pick them back up but in a different way in a way that they that they were able to craft different stories surrounding like so much of, of those stories are are altered and politicized you you you'll see as researchers come forward with different um, different books of the Bible that they've found and things like this, they don't match up with the things that we have now because it was like a game of telephone. It was not originally written down. It was it was passed down as an oral history, and eventually you have you know something that was written and then translated into a whole bunch of different languages where those words don't necessarily match up with the translations of the words going back. And if you go back to Sumerian clay tablets, you have a very similar story that emerges there. But a lot of that story makes sense according to our sciences now. Whereas you have this hole in between where, where you've got this mythos that, that people either take for rote or they don't. 
and they argue about that. But if you go back further, the same stories emerge, but it's a different typology around those same stories. And you can tell that the elements that were being removed in order to control us were the fact that we had that kind of tech back then that they don't want us to know that we ever had. This is something I'm very much into now. Um, having interviewed Eric Von Daniken and others over the years, you know, this idea that maybe at different junctures, and again, maybe we're back to the concept that time isn't linear, but at times mm-hmm. in our past and in our future, we were more technically advanced maybe than even we are now. And there seems to be plenty of evidence of this, doesn't there, around the world, um, Demi, physical evidence anyway? Absolutely, absolutely. And if you go back even like, you know, underneath into the strata, into the earth, you'll see in, in certain communities, um, the uh, the artifacts get more sophisticated the further down you go. So how do you explain that? You know, jewelry gets more sophisticated. Pottery gets more sophisticated the further down you go. So that means over time, our, our craftsmanship has been devolving. So we're, yeah. we're told that we're at the height of our evolution. How is that possible? If, if we're finding evidence that, that we had done a better job of it way back. Do you consider the possibility that Atlantis was a genuine civilization? I've had a lot of guests on the program over the years, not recently because everything has become so news centric in because of the last three years and everything that's happened. But um, cities like Atlantis, and, and be, before you mention Atlantis, there are a lot of people, some a little bit kooky, and that's not to be really, not to be rude to them, they're nice people, but also some pretty learned people who believe that the Antarctic is a really important place on Earth in yeah. terms of understanding. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, in terms of Atlantis, you know, uh, my my guidance has, has been and and the beginnings of my research into that, because it's hard to really piece the whole thing together. Um, the United States may have been Atlantis. If you look at what um, what was said about the distance of it outside of the Mediterranean, how it was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, people want to assume that the middle of the Atlantic Ocean would have been, you know, in between the United States and Europe. But what if it was the United States? And then you see all those artifacts along Bimini Bay, you know, um, if you go um, diving, you know, off the coast of Florida, you'll find roads underneath there. You find right angles. You find, you know, um, things that that were there that that we can't account for. So absolutely, I think that, you know, a a civilization may have existed in the United States that that we don't take into consideration. and when we look back at all of the buildings that were blown up um, during the time of the World's Fair and, and destroyed, uh, maybe some of those buildings like had to do with, with that prior civilization or a civilization that came in between. We can't know. We're so separated from our history. It's amazing. I, to I, how I, separated. Yeah, I was going to say the dumbest. I, I say a lot of dumb things, Damie, which I, I have become used to doing that so I don't get embarrassed. I nearly said you should be working for the Discovery Channel. And then I thought to myself, well, they're never going to have you, are they? Because um, <laughs> you, you, know, you, you can only go you can only go so far if you work for Disney or the Discovery Channel. But people love this. It's good. This is really positive. This it's energetically positive. It's, it's, it's true. Yeah, yeah it's, it's 
think it through. And, and even if, you know, I, I am open to being wrong. I, I am absolutely open to being wrong. Prove me wrong. That would be great. You know, like then we're getting somewhere. Then we're having the conversation, right? We need to have the conversation. And, and to your question about Antarctica, um, the, the thing that I always, it was one of the things that woke me up to everything um, was looking at a map um, that was, it, it was um, devised from old maps. It is a map from 1531. And it's split, you know, usually when you see a map, it's like, you know, Western and Eastern hemispheres, but it's Northern and Southern hemispheres. It's a topological map of Antarctica. You can see all of the, the mountain ranges. Everything is right where it's supposed to be. There's no ice depicted on this map. And this map is from 1531 before we supposedly, quote unquote, discovered Antarctica. And when the map maker um, was talking about the way that he had put that map together, it was from ancient maps from the Library of Alexandria. So how did we have these completely accurate topological maps of Antarctica that were in the Library of Alexandria that at that time were ancient maps? And in his time, in 1531, those were ancient maps that he was recreating this map from. How did we have that? Are you desperate to know? I mean, does it drive you bananas, you know, thinking about <laughs> this stuff? You know, because once you get into it, don't you? You really, really want to know, don't you? I would like to know, but I, I think that we know enough to know that we are not being told the whole story. And we know enough to know that, that probably the burning of the Library of Alexandria was something that was stoked politically on purpose. It was stoked culturally on purpose, like a divide and conquer thing similar to what we're seeing now to separate us from our roots even more. Anything else that that um, would connect us to our roots is being hidden from us. You know, so so a lot of that, you know, it, it's enough to know that there's there's a lot that we don't know. And I think that's enough to know to question it. And that's enough to know that if anyone doesn't want us questioning it, that's a problem. Tell me this, Demi, will you be in the future doing presentations or, as you say, in the US presentations on this uh, topic and other topics? I'd like to see you in a lecture theater. What do you reckon? Absolutely. Yeah, I, w I would love to on the podcast have people on to address this. And uh, and we're, we're going to be talking about some of this in season two as well. Yeah, because we're speaking to Demi Pitchell. We're talking about the Starfire Codes. Go to starfirecodes.com to find out more about Demi. This is amazing stuff. Listeners are loving it. Let me read out a few comments. We've had... I, I'm going to sound like I'm bragging, Demi. That's because I am. Uh, we've had about 756 messages come in in the last um, half an hour alone. We'll never get through all of them. So randomly... Grace Ann says, I totally get what Demi is saying about us being more advanced further back in history than we are today. 100% says Grace Ann. I think we've been lied to about our history. We've been dumbed down by some other uh, force. There is an enormous amount of messages coming in talking about the two-horned image of the goat and the devil and all of this symbology and what it might mean. Huge amount of interest in Atlantis. Uh, Isabella says... Richie, could you ask um, Demi what she reckons about, what does she think about the Sphinx and the possibility it contains the knowledge of the universe as has been speculated upon the Sphinx, Demi? Oh, it's definitely older than we're told. Um, you know, you, you can tell just from the, the, wind and the wind and rain wear 
on the sides of it that that it was there during um, a time when when there was water and it eroded along the sides and that would put it back to at least 10,000 years and we're told six. So, you know, there's definitely something being hidden there too. And the way and the time that it was built, um, you know, it's built in the shape of a lion and it was built facing um, where the, the Leo constellation would have been in the sky. And that would have put it back at least 10,000 years too. So, um, you know, just looking at all of that and knowing that you, you can date it to that time frame, and you know that we're being told um, at least a bit of a lie about that. But sure, a lot of people have said there are a lot of things, you know, buried beneath it. And, and a lot of people have re- remote viewed that space and, um, and seen a lot of, you know, black um, granite and marble obelisks that were, um, that were hidden in that area that um that would have more information about you know where that um where that prior civilization had come in now they say that you know the pyramids there were um were tombs i really feel like it's more like you know you you have a cartouche that says somebody's name but it's more like you know a graffiti artist coming in and tagging something and then we look back and we say oh that belonged to so-and-so because their cartouche is there but it's the same as somebody going in and, and putting their graffiti up on something and claiming it. It was there from way before. It was repurposed, but that was not the original purpose. And it's way older than what we're told. Martin and Linda are listening in Spain. They're loving listening to Demi. It's exactly 29 minutes to the top of the hour. It's the Richie Allen Show live on richieallen.co.uk. There's also an app for the programme. Get it via whichever app store you use. We're on tunein.com, of course, on the TuneIn app as well. And the programme broadcasts live on Fab Radio 2 in Manchester here in the northwest of the UK. Huge interest in this. Let me read this from Craig. Before I do, go to starfirecodes.com. And Demi is not paying me for this, by the way. I'm recommending it because it's brilliant. Um, in case you're wondering why I've mentioned starfirecodes.com so many times, I'm going to mention it 20 more times before the end of the programme. It's an excellent website. Now, Thank you, Richard. You're welcome. <laughs> Craig tells me, it's, I, I swallowed the Blarney Stone, Demi. That's another. We could talk about the Blarney Stone and where that came from. Craig says this. The Mayan culture, the ancient Egyptians and the Babylonians all had electricity, says Craig. We know this because they were all electroplating. So they were more than aware of the principles required to generate electricity. And he goes on to say Roman law can trace its origins to the code of Hammurabi, which originated in Babylon and the world order that is now almost complete. It's all actually Roman law. So much for progress, says Craig. What do you reckon? Very interesting. Oh, Easter tech was definitely hidden from us. And a lot of that is the way these old buildings work. They they were drawing ether energy in, transforming that into power and storing it within the brick of the building so that people would have power that way. A lot of those old buildings had giant pipe organs that were playing constantly because the harmonics would keep people healthy. There's so much that we're not told about this. But even my own experience when I was in Rome, um, I and I was I was maybe 25 years old. I was walking around and visiting different um, different sites. And all of a sudden I had this feeling come over me that I described as a sort of temporal vertigo 
I didn't understand the time frame of all of the things I was being presented. It felt like a lie and I couldn't make sense of it. You know, and I feel like I have a better sense of that now because we've been lied to about it so much. It didn't make sense. And I was intuitively picking up on that. The, the ways that the, um, these historical places fit together don't necessarily make sense. And then you see so many of the structures that are in Rome and Greece match so many of the structures that are in South America, in North America, the pillars, the, the, the shapes of those buildings, um, and even the, uh, the buildings that have domes that have a spire at the top that are drawing energy in into the dome and then pulling in from the dome into the brick of the building to store it. We have those types of buildings everywhere. Now we have skyscrapers in, in various places you know, across the world we wouldn't presume that just because one skyscraper looks a little bit different from the other skyscraper that those civilizations weren't conferring with each other. So when we see pyramids all over the world and they're slightly different from each other, but for the most part, they're the same. And we're told these civilizations had no contact with each other. It just strikes me as such a glaring lie. Yeah, those similarities you talk about. Yeah, it's something Von Daniken said to me some years ago. And it twigged my interest because it wasn't an area of research that I was that much kind of motivated by because I'm a, a news guy um, by, by <laughs> training, but, but not anymore. I mean, I, I believe this is very important. These are really important discussions. We've got Demi Pitchell live on the line. She's on Twitter too. It's at Starfire Codes, obviously all one word, at Starfire Codes. Join in with her on Twitter, starfirecodes.com. Now in the time we have left, which is about 10 or 12 minutes, you're really interested. Oh, by the way, Claire, who's in Ireland, uh, God's country, of course, my country. Claire says, Richie, Demi is 100% right on the Sphinx. And then she names Zahi Awas, who's apparently Egypt's state archaeologist. Claire reckons he's a gatekeeper. He refuses access to anybody asking the right questions about the Sphinx. And I don't know if that's true, but Claire seems to be she messages in from time to time, seems to be on the ball about um, these matters. I didn't know about the state archaeologist um, being a gatekeeper for the Sphinx. Sphinx, even. Do you know anything about that before I ask you about Elon Musk? Oh, absolutely. Um, there, there were archaeologists who I knew who were going out to the area who, if they hadn't known other archaeologists to get through that kind of red tape there, they wouldn't have been able to visit anything that they were planning to visit when they went over. So yes, absolutely. That's 100%. Brilliant stuff. Um, uh, Richard, who I think is Irish, says, um, give over, um, give over. Atlantis is off the coast of Cork. Tongue in cheek, I think, there. Um, everything, is off, <laughs> everything is off the coast of Ireland. Everything. T t tell us this. You, you're very, very, very interested and you reckon everybody should be in Starlink. What is it for the uninitiated? I know what it is. And why should people be paying attention to it? People should be paying attention because um, it would be a way to um, to send information back to um, to different um, different nanotech neurotech that's coming down. And it has to all be set up like it's it's in the infrastructural phase at this point, so it won't make a lot of sense, you know, um, right off until all of the pieces come together, and then then you know it's enough to make your head explode. And this is what I was looking at in one of my articles where I was talking about um, how all of Elon Musk's companies fit together. And um, I was talking um, to Brendan Murphy about this on his show. Um, we were taking apart the way that the different companies, you know, kind of fit together in, in their, um, 
in their bits and pieces of what they're developing and how those kind of fit together like a puzzle. So you've got the boring company, which is creating tunnels underneath things that, that, that can bring um, that can bring back resources faster to different places or um, or run different resources from place to place. Um, you've also got um, Neuralink, which you know um, is technology that is interfacing with the body. You know, and and he was always talking about how even your cell phone turns you into sort of a cyborg because you're so used to using it all the time. It's an extension of your mind. It's an extension of your brain. It's an extension of the way that you communicate. So you're already, you know, in, in terms of that sort of a cyborg because you're with that all the time. So, you know, moving that to be a part of the body itself is sort of where Neuralink takes you. And then having, you know, um, different ways to interface with that where, you know, you've got Starlink, um, satellites that are going by that are that are also um, using 6G at that point, um, not yet, but, you know, at that point to create um, a way to communicate, even if you're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, you've got satellites that, that you can use with satellite phones or, or satellite capabilities within the tech that you have within your body. And all of that interconnects so that you know where everyone is at all times. You've got that um, operating in with the social credit scores. You've got that operating in with the uh, the social networks that we have. So, you know, um, deep diving into the way a social network functions in order to make that work would be something that would integrate with the rest of this. So it's, it's a way of looking at it as as a whole and not as bits and pieces in different projects. If you if you look at it as a whole, it's something that, that is bringing different parts together into sort of a, um, a control mechanism. And, you know, whether he intends for that or not, you know, which, you know, we, we have to assume, you know, he may not or he may. OK, you know, like we don't quite know that one way or the other, but we should all be looking into that as people because it affects us and we should have a conversation about it. No, you doubt, know? no so doubt about whether, it. The truth or not, you know, um, it's something that we need to be cognizant of. It's something that we need to be thinking about. Yeah, a researcher whose name briefly escapes me told me some years ago on the program when this was first mooted, they they kind of called it a space fence, didn't they? This was a, a term they used to describe it. And like when you look at it, when, when you look at it as it is explained by them, well, it looks terrible. And if you believe, as I do, that non-ionizing radiation is dangerous for us, as I believe it is, yeah. and I believe it's been proven to be, um, it could be catastrophic. On that one level alone, catastrophic for our health. What do you reckon, Demi? This is, a, this is too much of an open question. It's too general. But I believe that during the lockdowns or the shutdowns, as they were called in some countries, in 2020 and 2021, it seems that the 5G towers went up everywhere very, very yeah. quickly. And I hear, and this is purely anecdotal now, from health workers in northwest UK, Salford, Manchester, that um, public health has declined in the last 18 months or two years. The problem is, of course, when the media and when governments refuse to acknowledge this or to even entertain the idea that we should investigate it. It's very difficult to try and measure just how much of an impact these 5G towers are having on our health. And to be honest with you, Demi, I find that very frustrating. 
Yes, absolutely. And if you look back, we actually have the data that covers this over time. Whenever there is a new electrical rollout, everyone gets sick. And Arthur Furstenberg covers this in his book, Invisible Rainbow. You'll see there's a timeline attached to this with every quote unquote pandemic. There was some sort of EMF rollout of some sort of new electrical tech that, that came forward and made everyone sick. And people are not taught to ground. They're not taught to protect their health. They're not taught to, um, to detox toxins, to make sure that they don't have any deficiencies. They're not taught that, that traumas can affect their health. They're, they're taught, you know, pathogens and, and things like this, like the invisible things that you can't see that, you know, people are creating fear around. So, you know, that, that there are only certain people who can, you know, um, keep you safe from that fear. So you have to give your rights away. And it's another Hegelian dialectic. But if you look at what's really happening, it's the rollout of this new electrical tech that, um, that is causing, you know, a, a bulk of the problems, I think. And if you look at Furstenberg's work, it becomes absolutely clear that that's what's going on. Also, Tom Callan's work, Contagion Myth, if, if you put those two books together, you'll have a, a completely different understanding of what's going on in our world right now. Damie, thanks for this final question. Absolutely final question for today. Thanks again for coming on starfirecodes.com and look for at starfirecodes on Twitter. You'll find Damie on Twitter too. You'll know about um, anti-free speech or you'll know about um, um, censorship legislation going through the UK Parliament. They call it the Online Harms Bill, right? There, there is similar legislation going through the Irish uh, Oireachtas, which is the Irish Parliament too. And yet, you know, we, we grew up, we, we always looked to the United States and we grew up like hearing about the First Amendment and how important it is, free speech. But do you feel, and I don't want to end this on a negative, do you feel, I mean, I see what you're doing with the Starfire Codes and the podcast and it's brilliant. But if you've got to be concerned now that your First Amendment rights are under serious threat, you know, and that um, censorship is, maybe it's not as bad where you are as it is here in the UK now, but surely it's coming down the line. Is that something you've got to be aware of? Oh, it's been under attack. Um, at one point when I came out to the UK, we were interviewing people for a documentary on free speech. And um, we, we were interviewing peers about um, the way that they felt about how that was going down. And this was early on. I want to say this was um, 2010. So already this, the, um, the stage was set for all of this. And this is just, you know, more fallout that continued past that point and into um, into our current situation. And it's been, you know, chipped away at over time. Like I said earlier, slowly boiled frogs. People don't notice when um, when they're not allowed to speak about something over time because you you do it slowly and and through. Um, through peer pressure, really, is the way that it's been happening. But, you know, more overtly, you know, um, even I had my my Twitter account was canceled for a bit, like it was it was shut down by the old Twitter regime. Um, after I had quoted a doctor, I was talking about something that Dr. Andreas Nowak had said, um, right before he died, about graphene. And, um, and my account was taken down. And when Elon Musk uh, went into um, you know, when he bought Twitter and, and, you know, started reworking everything at Twitter, I was given my account back. But, um, yeah, it, it was it was shocking to me. You know, all I was doing was quoting the doctor. Literally, I was quoting what he had said in his presentation and my account got shut down. 
you were doing what the mainstream media was not doing, which was amplifying a doctor, a, a, a qualified person who was taking a different position than Fauci and the, you know, the lockdown doctors here in the UK and you got censored for it. We're about out of, out of time for today. It's been an absolutely amazing hour. Um, fascinating stuff. Thanks for it, uh, Demi. I really appreciate it. Starfirecodes.com. You'll find Demi there. And as I said, she's all also on uh, Twitter. And maybe at the end of the summer, maybe in the early autumn, early fall, uh, as you would say, we might catch up again because we kind of skirted around these issues in a general way. But there are one or two things we could maybe dig down into. I'd be grateful for that. It's been a pleasure meeting you. And thanks for your time, Demi. I would love to do that. And thank you so much for having me on, Richie. This has been great. Thanks. And you too. Enjoy the rest of your day in Florida. Thanks, Demi. That's Demi Pitchell, starfirecodes.com. Check her out. Find her on Twitter and follow her there as well. Lovely to chat with her this afternoon. It is coming up for 14 minutes to the top of the hour. It's Monday's Richie Allen Show with me, Richie Allen. There's only one Richie Allen, so there is just one, thank God. Comedy Podcast Live, an evening of politically incorrect comedy and commentary. Do you remember 8 o'clock on a Thursday? Stand on your front door and clap at the sky. You guys getting bored with television yet? The plots are getting so ridiculous and the characters are getting so, like, out of there and none of it's believable. Like, I don't know if you watch the same show as me, it's called uh, The News. Thank God for the BBC. We could not have had a pandemic without them. Tell you what I want to go with my tinfoil hat, one of those tinfoil moon buggies people think we rode around the moon on. If you need six boosters for any product in the world, that shit don't work. Andrew Lawrence, Abby Roberts, Alistair Williams, Stanford, July 27th, Katie Hopkins, Newport, July 28th. You will laugh, you will feel better, and you will realise that you're not alone. So do grab your tickets, Comedy Podcast Live. I'm your host. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Welcome back. It's 12 minutes or thereabouts to the top of the air. Thanks for all of your messages. Kelly was in touch. Hi, Kelly. Love the topic and the guest, Richie. The YouTube channel Mind Unveiled. Uh, that channel produces outstanding videos and it makes a convincing argument that Atlantis was indeed near Ireland. It ties in with what Jordan Maxwell um, enlightened us about with astrotheology. So Richard wasn't joking, Richard Kelly. I don't know very much about Atlantis. My better half loves this. This field of research is big into it. And that's um, that's great. Kind of keeps her quiet. <laughs> David says, my smart television is welcome to spy on me in my home in the evening because all they would see me doing is drinking bottle after bottle of German beer, says David. Fair enough. Doesn't matter. That's the. I know you're joking. Of course, David is only joking. That that, and he's he's not making this argument. But people continue to make the argument, don't they? Well, if you've if you're doing nothing wrong, if if you've got nothing to hide, what are you concerned about? I remember having these arguments many years ago when CCTV cameras started popping up everywhere. Obviously, London, I think, might still be the CCTV capital of the world. I think per square foot. London has more cameras than any other city or other city, but I could be wrong. That may well have changed now. 
that might have moved on to another city. It could very well be, I don't know. It could be Singapore now, for all I know. It could be Tralee in Kerry now. I don't know. But I remember people saying, oh, who, who cares? If you've not got anything to hide, why would you worry? And others said, well, we'll be more protected when we're out in the nighttime, won't we? It never occurred to these goons, these people who said, ah, oh, shut up complaining about the cameras. It never occurred to them that it's not a good thing if the police and those who control the police can map your every movement. And now, of course, it doesn't matter because the vast majority of us, we carry a phone, don't we, about our person, either in our pockets, if you're stupid enough to have them in your pockets, or um, somewhere else about your body. And you are tracked morning, noon and night because your phone is pinging and pinging and pinging constantly and giving away your very location. Speaking of phones, there are some dumb bastards. <sighs> Somebody, I mean, I can't believe I'm reading this out, but it, I suppose I, you, you want to speak about, um, you want to speak about cheap type behaviour, you know? Somebody spent $190,000 on an iPhone from 2009. Somebody spent, sorry, from 2007. Somebody bought an iPhone from 2007 for $190,000. There are some sick puppies on planet Earth right now, aren't they? Of course, um, quite often when they release a new iPhone, People queue, don't they? They queue. Sometimes overnight, sometimes for two nights. I know what you're going to say. Richie, you probably queued all day long for concert tickets. Or, you know, you might have queued all day long to go to, 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 to be up the front at a concert or at a football match. It's not the same thing, though, is it? And I want to say hi to my friend Seamus Connolly and to his better half, who have made the move to sunny Derbyshire. Congratulations, Seamus. Well done. Well done, mate. Uh, long life and happiness in your new abode to you and the missus. The very best from the BBG and from the Richie Allen Show. And while I'm on the topic of uh, thanking people and wishing people well, can I say hello to my great pal Patricia Brownsfeiler, who's in Zurich at the moment and is a great supporter of this programme and of yours truly. Patricia, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I really do. Elizabeth says before it was called the Internet, it was called the Ethernet. When you do a search on Google, see how you get results in 0.6 seconds. That's impossible. Uh, as we are told, if you're going through cables, server farms, etc., this would take much longer. So I believe we are not even being told the truth on how this works technically, says Elizabeth. And that is very interesting. Thank you so much for that. Elizabeth, I'm of a mind because we were supposed to do this last Tuesday, but everything went belly up last week, is that we should do a phone in tomorrow. So a phone in tomorrow we will do. Keep that in mind. Phone in tomorrow. Richard says, Sure, Richie, I'm the man from Atlantis. I'm joking now. Who starred in The Man from Atlantis? I can't remember. It certainly was not Bill Bixby. So it wasn't. I'm going to look it up as I speak to you because I can't put up with it. The man from Atlantis. Uh, Atlantis. American television series dating... All the way back to 1977, Patrick Duffy was the man. Belinda Montgomery was in it too, as was Alan Fudge, 
1977 only survived one season before it was unceremoniously cancelled. There's a man from Atlantis. There you go. All right. Now, dear listener, I'm going to take my leave of you. Thank you for listening. Let me once again, I like to do this, mention our guest, uh, Demi Pitchell. It is starfirecodes.com, the podcast, the blog, the articles. She is a filmmaker, an author. It's on a brilliant journey trying to understand what it is is happening to us, where we came from, what part all of that plays into, where we came from, how it plays into geopolitical events today, the origins of our species. It's great stuff. She's also on Twitter as well. We'll have her back in the future, no doubt about that. Thank you, Deanie. Great. Lovely. So, uh, phone in tomorrow. The contact details will be published on the website and on the social media sites tomorrow. So you should have them anyway. You can contact the programme via Skype, via phone, the old-fashioned way, but there's also a WhatsApp number for the programme. Now, I'll throw it over to you tomorrow. Over to you. You get to tell me how it is or how it was. That's tomorrow, Tuesday. In the meantime, from your BBG, it is adieu. And how could I not close out the programme with this? Uh, Because it's kind of um, on topic, isn't it? It's Donovan and Atlantis and the Richie Allen Show. Until tomorrow, bye from me. Bye now. Have a great rest of your Monday. The continent of Atlantis was an island which lay before the great flood.